1: And I took the phone off whoever had had it before me and, and Dick just said one word he just said "one."
0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Live Through That, the podcast where influential artists of the 80s and 90s talk to us about a pivotal moment in their lives. I'm your host, Mike Hippel, and this week, I'm pleased to welcome Simon Rowbottom, also known as Sice, from the critically adored band The Boo Radleys, whose Spin Magazine described as one of the greatest 90s bands that most Americans haven't heard of. He's about to embark on the 30th anniversary tour with The Boo Radleys, celebrating their ambitious 1993 album, Giant Steps. In addition, they're about to release their eighth album, titled, appropriately enough, Eight. We had a great long conversation, so much so that I might have a bonus episode on this one. But for today, Size tells us about the process of becoming and how it's sometimes it's about the journey, not the destination. He speaks openly about the pursuit of fame, what he found when he got there, and how those lessons informed his creativity.
1: So um a pivotal moment for me that, that kind of involved music but it was also um um uh, about the whole of my life really was it was in it took place in 1995 um and so to give some background up to that point um we'd been um me and, and Martin and Tim in the in the Boo Radleys had been friends from school and our whole drive from as as far back as I can remember was to be in a band and to be successful and to be famous um and and really to kind of you know make it that whole kind of pop star thing um it was it was almost a case of kind of um the music was kind of incidental it was kind of a way of um getting to that 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 kind of promised land in pretty much in, in kind of growing up we grew up near Liverpool and. One of the things that they always say about Liverpool is that, you know, people in Liverpool either want to be a famous footballer or they want to be a pop star because it's kind of like that's the way out. That's the way of the kind of, uh, I suppose, the, the mundanity of life. So we kind of throughout the sort of late 80s, we were struggling away in a band trying to make it. not Nothing else on our minds, um, you know, plenty of plenty of our friends we're also in bands but they would see it as a kind of sideline thing and they'd be thinking about their university places um and, and and lives and stuff but for us the band was just everything it was all we wanted to do and and so we we sort of um you know lived in very rough places to to kind of make it work um and gradually over a sort of 5 year period we started to sort of slowly build up so there wasn't a sort of overnight thing But this sort of five-year period sort of started in about 1990 when we made our first album. That was our first vinyl record, an album called Ichabod and I. And this was funded by a local record shop and about 1,000 copies went into print. And this was the start of this kind of growth um, that that began. Um, And so over the next five years, each stage, we kind of grew bigger and bigger, and um, our, our sort of breakthrough came in about nineteen in nineteen ninety three when we released an album called Giant Steps that was critically acclaimed. Um, it was very critically acclaimed, you know, got album of the year in a number of magazines, and so we were kind of heading along that route. Um, but one of the things was both both us and our record company at the time, Creation, um, you know, recognized. That actually we we kind of needed chart it, you know. Critical acclaim wasn't enough, and so we kind of embarked on the next album, which which was expected to do well. Um, and it was sort of we had a single that was launched, a single called Wake Up Boo, um, before, prior to the album being released that did well, and. W- was a first major thing for us in that it got into the UK top 10 and meant that we did television shows and this sort of thing. But the the biggest thing that came about, and this is really the pivotal moment, was um, when the album was released, I think a few months later, um, we were really, really hopeful that the album would get to number one, that it would be a, a big, big thing. Um, that the album would get to number one. And um, the strange thing was, after all this kind of traveling and all this five years of work and touring and stuff, we actually happened to be back at home where we were from in a place called Wallasey at this time, I think for a photo shoot as far as I remember. Um, And we, we, I think on the, it was a Sunday afternoon, I think that you heard, what the final chart placing was. And we were sort of crowded around a phone in um, Martin's uh, family home. And we got a phone call from Dick Green, who um, ran Creation Records with Alan McGee. And, and I, and you know, and this is the sort of pivotal moment. It's a snapshot in my mind that I took the phone off whoever had had it before me. And, and Dick just said one word. He just said one. Um, and... Um, that was when it kind of changed now what 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 changed was that it was that that was the kind of embodiment of the of the moment that we'd always pictured that we'd always wanted it was kind of you know you, you're number, you're the you're the biggest selling artist in the country uh on that you know on that week and, but the big thing for me was is that i didn't feel any different and that's what i think shocked me that was the kind of pivotal moment because I think I'd always at that point, I kind of realized or or, or perhaps afterwards, and as I started to think about it, I realized what I was investing in this moment, um, how much I was goal oriented about this kind of success and what success meant and what fame meant and how I think I was always living in a kind of fantasy world that it would somehow change everything. So there was a slow kind of dawning, not not disappointment so much, but a slow dawning of realization that nothing had actually changed. And I remember we were on a bus and we were driving out and there was a kind of celebratory kind of almost screaming out the windows. We were saying we did it, we did it kind of thing. Um, but it felt very, very empty. And at that point, it was kind of it felt like the beginning of the end of of the band but it also felt there was also a sadness there because it felt like actually we'd finished the climb you know and you and it was it was almost like you realized actually how much you'd enjoyed the climb and that the climb was over and actually that the climb was was the thing you were doing it for once you got to the peak and you kind of looked around you kind of felt okay it's nice but but the climb's over and now we've just got the descent and and so it really felt like that we started to enter a descent then. But the other, but the important thing about the pivotal thing was that it started to make me uh, reconsider my life and my um, my goals and and how I enjoyed life. And it was quite problematic for a while in that it um, it took away that that drive which we'd had and from from a very very early age and suddenly realizing that that was something that was quite irreplaceable i suppose it sounds fairly trite to say but it was that thing of actually following a dream and it was a dream there was no reality to it but it was following a dream and being on that path there was something um very good in 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 living that fantasy there was something kind of, um, I don't know, being able to step out of reality a little bit. So from then on, it was kind of, it was almost a kind of thunk down to reality. Um, and in, in doing that, it was also a very, very good thing because it kind of made me start to appraise my life, my reality, rather than a, rather than a, um, rather than the the fantasy and I found that I went through a sort of period of the next I guess it was probably the next two three years of realizing of, of, I suppose of trying to hang on to the dreams of trying to hang on to something else but slowly realizing that it, it wasn't going to happen it had gone and it wasn't going to come back. And then I think finding, then having to find another purpose, a different purpose. And and so it was, I mean, I think for, for some time, you know, I was probably quite depressed. I was probably quite missing, had a real lack of that purpose, trying to keep the band going. I, I just, we really, I mean, I think everyone kind of shared this. I mean, I, I don't really know. I can't speak for everybody, but but uh, you know there was certainly a, a lack of a lack of motivation, and and it sort of going towards the end of the the band um, was a very sort of depressing time, and didn't really want to be involved with it, and was actually kind of re- very relieved when it ended, and so it then kind of um, my life just became something completely different, and. I was still I was still sort of searching for a purpose, but my purpose then became um, staying at home with my kids. So me and my wife had a couple of kids, and I actually became a stay-at-home dad. And that was my purpose for a good five or six years. That was a really sort of vital time for me and taught me a huge amount about myself and my own kind of my own limits and my own patience and my own understanding and taught me a huge amount about development. Um, And so, but after another five or six years, I kind of found myself rudderless again. And, and so um, I needed to kind of almost take on that journey again. I realized how much I missed the journey and how much I missed the climb. So in 2007, that's when I started to retrain as a psychologist. And so the climb then was actually ended up being longer than the, than the first climb, I guess, um, in that it was how long, uh, probably seven years in total, um, to become qualified and set up a bio private practice. But it kind of, you know, it, it, one of the things that, um, that it kind of, it kind of used it to replace that climb but still didn't really i don't think appreciate how to take how to enjoy the journey i still think i kind of thought it was having the goal the goal was the thing and working towards the goal was the thing but actually you know as time's gone on i've been able to look back towards that that pivotal time when when we we got to number one and the period before it and see that it wasn't the goal. It, it was the, it was the journey, you know, it was, it was the process of becoming, that's what is, um, and, and that's what I've kind of learned many years later, um, of the enjoyment of the process, that that's where the, that's where the satisfaction lies. That's where the, um, that's where the enjoyment lies. That's where the development lies. Um, so I think it was, you know, it was even though it was a kind of a, an apogee of what we were trying to achieve, it was a number one album and it was being lauded and it was everything. And we got the fame and we got the recognition, all those things that as a child I'd viewed as as really, really vital, as really, really important. Um, Realised that actually those things are very, very empty. And the, the process of, of taking enjoyment out of living every day has has um, been really, really important. And that, you know, 23 years later, now we're making music again in the Boo Radleys, that has made this experience so much better, so much more enjoyable that actually there's no focus on goals. There's no focus on what we want it to be. It's just simply trying to enjoy the process of every day whether it's uh you know whether it's something that's 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 good or whether it's bad it doesn't really matter it's just the process of of being in it that we're able to focus on um so it's so that pivotal moment although at the time it felt very um it felt very flat it felt quite disappointing it felt just the opposite of everything i imagined it would be it's very much taught me uh, a very very valuable life lesson
0: It took some time for Seiss to realize that the destination isn't always the end-all be-all. I have to ask, though, where did that initial drive come from to begin with?
1: I mean, you know, looking at things psychologically, I think it came from unhappiness. I mean, I think it it came from, now whether this is within home life or just the kind of general life or school life or those kind of things, which you know, for a lot of kids isn't particularly happy. Um, it wasn't a particularly affluent area that we grew up in. It wasn't um, you know, particularly great. And and I think generally it was uh, an unhappiness. Um probably uh, uh, um you know a kind of kind of boiling it down. I think an awful lot of people go into the fame business, um, whether that's tv or or um film or anything i think the fame business as opposed to a kind of artistic business like music or if you go into it for fame i think you are looking for love i mean i think you know that's what we see that's what we see represented for me you know when i looked at those bands who were appearing on top of the pops and these things whatever i would watch as a child you know i think what i would see is that those bands were loved You know, that these people were laughing, uh, clapping and cheering for them. And, you know, and you'd see footage of the Beatles and they would be absolutely adored. And I think that's what, you know, you look at and think, I mean, none of this was conscious, particularly. But I think, you know, we look at that that and that's where the drive comes from. It's kind of I want that. I want that adoration. I want that love. And I think that's where, you know, finally getting to that point and feeling, actually I don't feel any different, you know because it's it's false you know it's not it's not real, and anybody who convinces themselves it's real is a fool, you know because that is not what love is you know that's a facsimile um so so um I think that was really the drive you know I can't speak for other members of the band, but I think for me, certainly, when I look back now, I think yeah, that's what I was looking for that's what um that's what I was hoping to find and And it's such a shame because, you know, I think still very many people um, these days are looking to find that. And I do think that actually an awful lot of people who set off, I think this is really where there's a mental health struggle that goes on, because I think it's, you know, people will try and use this as as a coping mechanism. And, you know, with us. With, with us, we didn't really get the kickback. And these days, I think the social media kickback that people get is, is, is really cruel because they get to that point and, and it's not even with, with, with kind of social media, it's not even that people have that realization that this facsimile of love isn't real. But they actively, they realize that they're actively disliked you know, on, on social media and that 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 can be I think that can be hugely crushing. I'm so glad I didn't have to have that experience because that would have been hugely crushing. So I think I think that's what the that's what that drive is. It or certainly was was for me when I look back and ask myself the same question. You know, why why was I so driven by this? What was it that so appealed? And and but but what's been really good is that actually, you know, they they did one of the strange things was that I I really sort of only began to, I guess, appreciate the music side of things. It sounds strange after that kind of pivotal moment. I, obviously I sort of enjoyed the music and did it, but, but, but never really took it as the most important thing. I think when you're sort of enamoured of publicity and fame, I, I think that, the artistic endeavor sort of disappears into the background but one of the things was that that's kind of now reversed and and actually none of that other stuff matters um, what what matters is the artistic endeavor mm-hmm.
0: Thank you, Decise, for taking the time to share your story. He'll be on tour with the Boo Radleys and promoting their new album this summer, and come the fall, he's planning on doing a set of one-man shows around the U.K. I also want to thank the band Jupe Jupe for creating our theme song. You can find out more about their music at jupejupemusic.com. And a friendly reminder that you can also buy my book on 80s musicians and where they are today, 80s Redux, and a sequel on 90s artists, Live Through That, wherever you buy your books. And if you like this show, please subscribe so that you'll know when the latest episode comes out. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Mike Hipple Photo, all one word. Thanks for listening. We'll have more stories next week.